Hello, and welcome to Moniker, the histories and mysteries of names, the show that's so much more than its appearance. I got a confession. I'm addicted to junk factoids. I love scrolling through a list of weird, bite-sized nuggets of information. If it's vaguely interesting and easily consumable, I'm into it. I've even been known to sit through a whole show about battleships just because it was in a top 10 format. Facts organized into bingeable lists are my jam. Which brings me to today's topic. There was a meme that began circulating a couple years ago, but still pops up on Reddit from time to time. It's a vintage photo of a Middle Eastern woman whose appearance is rather confusing. It's often accompanied by several more blurry black and white photos of her and other women, all of whom share the same unusual to our eyes characteristics. They're all dressed in weird little starched tutu-like skirts with white stockings on bottom and robes and something resembling a hijab on top. Even more striking than their clothes is that these women have unibrows, mustaches, and stocky builds. If there's accompanying text to the meme, it usually says something like, Did you know that 13 men killed themselves because they were rejected by this Iranian princess? Depending on who released the meme, the woman is listed as different names that aren't really expected to mean anything to us, but most often she's called Princess Kajar. We're meant to look at her image and say, wow, that was what was beautiful in Iran a hundred years ago? How wild! Beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. But that can't be the end of the story. Who was this woman? Or women? What was her name? What was her story? She's got to be way more than this exotic creature we're gawking at. Let's find out. According to several history sleuths like Victoria Martinez, who runs the awesome blog A Bit of History, the pictures shown in the Princess Cager meme are actually two different women. They were two Persian princesses who were alive in the mid-19th and early 20th centuries. One was Princess Fatima Khanum, called Esmet al-Dawla, and Princess Zara Khanum, called Taj al-Satana. Now, I looked up a lot of the pronunciations of these names, so I really, really apologize if they are wrong. And just a quick side note, we are going to be talking about the Qajar dynasty, which sometimes is anglicized to Qajar, but that sounds weird. So I'm going to go with Qajar, because that's another one that I heard. Anyway, these were half-sisters. Esmat was the second child of Nasir al-Din Shah, and Taj was his twelfth. Nasir al-Din Shah was the longest reigning ruler of the Qajar dynasty, reigning from 1848 to 1896. The Qajar dynasty was a powerful family of Turkish origins who ruled in Persia from the mid-18th to early 20th centuries. The Qajar rule took place during a tumultuous time in Iran's history. The Qajars had managed to unify the tribes of Persia into a centralized nation. Quick note, the country was officially called Persia at this time, which is why I use the name in this context, 
but we should note that it was known by locals for many centuries as a variation of Iran or Aryan, and some people view Persia as a name imposed on the region and its people by outsiders. So that's just something to keep in mind, but I'm calling it Persia because that was its official name at the time. Anyway, as this period of the Qajar reign was the peak of European imperialism, superpowers like Britain and Russia were constantly encroaching on Persia's territories. Unfortunately for Nasir, the Russians succeeded in conquering the Persian-held Caucasus early in his reign. The ever-present threat of Europe and all of its landholdings that essentially surrounded Persia helped prompt the country's foray into modernity. Nasir, as well as many other Persian rulers, made it a point to tour the European continent to bring back fresh ideas that would breathe new life into their kingdom. It was a lot like how Peter the Great went to Europe and brought back all kinds of Western dress and things like that back to Russia. Nasir is credited with introducing the telegraph, photography, Western-style schooling, and a postal service to Persia. He also limited the secular powers of the clerics and advocated for higher education. Another result of Nasir's travels abroad that may or may not be apocryphal was the adoption of a tutu-like skirt for the women in his harem. Now, quick side note on harems. They would have the concubines and the wives of the shah, but they would also have all of his female relatives, so like his daughters and his mother. In theory, the change in dress was inspired by Nasir's love of the ballet russe and his desire to bring some of that romance back home with him. The harem would be the only place where they could actually do this because they would be away from prying eyes and only the shah would be able to see them in these cute little skirts. It was hard to find solid resources on this, but it seems logical that this was how things played out, given what we see in the photographs of Taj, Esmet, and their female relatives wearing these tutu-like skirts. While reforms came fast and furious in the beginning of Nasir's reign, the last years of the Qajar dynasty were marked by growing resentment toward the West, sparked by the intrusive influence of the British. Nasir made the mistake of allowing certain concessions for the British like giving them control over the growth, sale, and export of all tobacco in the country. This and other blunders ended in his assassination by populists and the birth of Iranian nationalism. So how did Esmet and Taj fit into this transitional time of Persian history? Turns out, they were women with a remarkable amount of agency for their time. They were certainly more than the dumb memes make them out to be. Not much is known about the Princess Fatima Khanum, otherwise known as Esmet al-Dawla. She was born in 1855 or 1856 to Kusasta Khanum, one of the wives of Nasir. Esmet, being the second daughter of the Shah, was often called upon to receive the wives of foreign dignitaries and welcome them into the palace. Her photograph portraits, a result of Nasir's modernizations, were prominently displayed indicating her prominence within the Shah's household. In fact, it's been suggested that she was the most photographed person in Persia at this time. 
It's evident from these photographs that Esmet conformed to the style of dress and grooming of her day. She's seen in the tutu and robes that we previously mentioned, as well as some elaborate Western-style gowns. One of the most famous pictures of her, taken by her husband, Dus Mohammed Khan, shows her wearing a magnificent white gown and posing in front of a painted backdrop of a royal courtyard. And it's kind of funny because her dog is in the picture too, and the dog didn't know how to hold still, so the dog's kind of blurry. Her unibrow and mustache are highly visible, and indeed it's entirely possible that she darkened them with mascara. Many women at the time were known to do this. According to many experts on Iranian social sexual history, of which I am certainly not, but others are, these would not be seen as manly traits like we would view them today. They were signs of youth and health, just like Esmet's full figure. The greatest marker of manliness in Persia at this time was a full beard. Any less facial hair than that would be considered feminine. And while we're on the subject of sexuality, one of the hallmarks of the Princess Kajar meme is that 13 suitors committed suicide because she spurned their proposals. Well, there's no historical basis for this happening with Esmet or her sister Taj, who we will get to in a moment. Both sisters were betrothed by age 9 or 10 to men in their family circle. There wouldn't be adult men putting themselves forward as suitors. So, it seems the 13 men thing is totally made up. In 1884, Esmet's half-sister, Princess Zara Khanum, known as Taj al-Sultana, was born to Mariam Turan Sultana, one of the Shah's wives, and Nasir. We know much more about Taj's life because she was one of the most outspoken feminists and nationalists of her day. Her memoirs, compiled and published after her death as Crowning Anguish, Memoirs of a Persian Princess, span 30 years of profound social and political change and give a really vivid description of what life was like at this time. In her memoirs, Taj expresses contempt for her traditional Persian upbringing and criticized many of the cornerstones of court life for women, such as children being raised by wet nurses instead of their parents, child betrothal and marriage, and the general lack of access to formal education for girls. Taj was betrothed at age nine to Hassan Khan, whose family was influential in the military. Hassan and Taj were about the same age, so their marriage wasn't finalized until a few years later, when they were both around 13 years old. About a year before the marriage, Nasir was assassinated in a populist coup that resulted in the banishment of Taj and her female relatives to one of their ancestral family estates. Taj writes that this estate felt like a prison, and she looked forward to the relative autonomy of married life. Her marriage to Hassan produced four children, but ultimately ended in divorce due to repeated infidelities, mostly Hassan's. This was in 1907, when divorce was almost unheard of, let alone in Persia. But it's indicative of how Taj would spend the rest of her life. Taj, along with many of her sisters, became heavily involved in the Women's Rights Association and Persia's Constitutional Revolution. She advocated for the replacement of religious and dynastic rule with a secular representative form of government. She also advocated for social reforms that allowed women to participate more in the public sphere. Taj was quite the libertine of her time. 
She held weekly salons at her home where she freely associated with both men and women. She was among the first of her day to abandon the hijab in favor of Western dress, although she retained the Persian penchant for darkening her mustache and eyebrows. Her liberal ways contributed to the dissolution of her second marriage to Aziz al-Satan, who was pressured by his uncle to end the marriage in 1908 after he learned of Taj's involvement with the Women's Rights Association. Taj lists several probable lovers in her memoirs, but it seems she was single when she died of cancer in 1936. There's certainly no mention of 13 suicidal lovers. What Taj did leave behind was an amazing window into a tumultuous period of Iranian history through her memoirs. She's credited as being one of the most eloquent voices for the constitutional and women's movements of her time. If there's any lesson to be gleaned from this topic, it's this. Junk history memes will not teach you anything and are often degrading. And we should all know that by now. We should know that you can't really learn anything with nuance that you scroll through while on the toilet. And that's where I'll leave you. On the toilet. If you'd like to learn more about Esmat and Taj, I would encourage you to read Taj's memoirs, Crowning Anguish, Memoirs of a Persian Princess. And also, I will have this in the show notes, but read the travelogues of Nasir. Those are also really fascinating because he's a little verbose, but he gives vivid descriptions of his impressions of Europe. Gives us a lot of context for the story. And of course, I'll have all the other sources in the show notes so that you can check out new articles and get more information. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me today on Moniker, the histories and mysteries of names. If you have a name you'd like featured on the podcast, please email me at monikerpod at gmail.com. Until next time, farewell!